Welcome to The Upward Journey, the podcast ministry of Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina. Someone once said that one would go mad if one took the Bible seriously. But to take the Bible seriously, one must already be mad. Comments like these are often made by those who read difficult to understand verses and question why they're included in the Bible at all. Yet when you enter the phrase, what does the Bible say about on Google, you get about 921 million different search options to choose from. So how do we reconcile this interest we have in learning from the Bible with some of the harder to understand passages in it? That's what we explore in our current series, Say What? How Not to Read Your Bible. So let's dig deeper and continue the upward journey. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. Let's give a shout out to our online audience right now and thank every one of them who are here with us today. We are finishing, concluding our series called Say What? We've been doing this for five weeks now. I pray that you have enjoyed it. It has been fun. It has been challenging as we've looked at some scriptures that make us say, say what? And we've learned how to read our Bibles. Does anybody remember nursery rhymes? How many of you learned nursery rhymes growing up? How many of you taught some of these to your children? Do you know that these soothing little rhymes that we tell our children at night for fun and relaxation have very scary backstories? London Bridge is falling down, falling down, falling down. Do you know that story? London Bridge is falling down. This story is said to come from a brutal, murderous Viking attack in the year 1014. How did we start singing that to our children? The nursery rhyme, three blind mice, three blind mice, see how they run. I started too high, I can't finish that. They all ran after the farmer's wife who cut off their tails with a carving knife. Have you ever seen, do you want to hear me sing? Sight in your life is three blind mice. You know where that came from? Supposedly it's referring to Queen Mary I, known as Bloody Mary, when she burned three men at the stake. And we sing this to our children. You ever heard this one? This one has a really bad story. Ring around the rosy, pocket full of posy, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. Comes from the London plague of 1665. The ring around the rosies is the rash, the pocket full of posies as they carried flowers around with them to, to uh, counteract the stench of death and decay. And when they say we all fall down, 15% of the population died in the plague. Man, we got to get some new, say what exactly? We got to get some new nursery rhymes. I mean, say what? I mean, it's a backstory that's very difficult tonight. Today, we're going to talk about a backstory, a troubling backstory that we read about in the Bible. And it's troubling if we don't really understand why. This is probably the toughest message of this series, but we're not going to run away from this. We're going to talk about the slaughter that we see in the Bible. Now, I'm going to give you another song. I'm just full of songs tonight. Anybody ever learned the song in Sunday school? Growing up, maybe you learned about Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jer Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. You remember that? Well, you're learning it tonight. I'm going to give you an alternate ending that tells the story a little bit better. 
Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and they killed everybody in town. <laughs> that one's not so fun, yet it's the truth. You ready to say, say what? Joshua 6, 17 says this, Jericho, God's saying Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Say what? what? Only Rahab the prostitute. Say what? <laughs> Only Rahab the prostitute and others in her house will be spared for she protected our spies. What? Kill everything and everybody in Jericho but save one prostitute and her family. How can we reconcile this destruction with God's command, thou shalt not murder? The atheist Richard Dawkins says that the God of the Old Testament is a moral monster. I witnessed to, a, to an old man in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 34 years ago. I was in Bible college. We were in a practicum where we went out and we knocked on doors and we told people about Jesus and we took this Bible with us. It's a little bitty Bible, and I still have it marked with the Romans road that you can go through and tell people how to be saved. And I witnessed to this old man in 1987. He was about 80 years old then. I'm sure he's in eternity now. And I tried to tell him about Jesus. In fact, I have his street address written here in the front of my Bible because I wanted to go back and see him again. I never got the opportunity he did not want to talk to us about the Bible, and this is what he said, and I remember it 34 years later. He said, I can't believe the Bible because the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. He said, the God of the Old Testament will kick your butt. Sorry, that's what he said. He said, the God of the Old Testament is violent and mean. And then you go over to the New Testament and you've got this lovey-dovey God and I cannot reconcile the two gods that I see in the Bible. Now, is this true? How can we reconcile a loving God with a God who commanded that an entire city be destroyed? Now, I want to tell you, this is not going to be a nice, neat little package that I can give you tonight and tie a red ribbon around and you can take it home saying, we have solved this problem forever. When we finish, you may still be unsatisfied with this question, but there are some things we're going to have to wrestle with until we get to heaven. Are you comfortable with that, Christians? There's some things we have to wrestle with, and there's some things that will be in tension in our minds until we get to heaven. But it's worth the struggle to learn how to read our Bibles and to understand who God really is. First thing I want you to understand tonight is that the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament is the very same God. There is no difference between the God in the Old Testament and the God in the New. Often it's said that the Old Testament is just filled with violent God and the New Testament is all mercy and love. Let me tell you, both of those things are wrong. The Old Testament has plenty of mercy in it. Exodus 34, for instance, verse 6 and 7, it says, The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh the Lord. This is Old Testament. The God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. 
I lavish unfailing loves to a, love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. This is a God of mercy in the Old Testament. Same God we meet in the New Testament. People say the New Testament is just all lovey-dovey. You didn't read Acts chapter 5. In the New Testament, there was a couple named Ananias and Sapphira who sold a piece of ground and they brought part of the money to the church and they lied and they said they were bringing all the money. And guess what? One at a time, Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead. That does not exactly feel like a lovey-dovey God to me. Here's what I want you to understand. The Bible is a progressive revelation of God from the Old to the New Testament. What do you mean by that, Pastor? That sounds like compromise, progressive. What does that mean? It means this simply, that God is not fully revealed in the Old Testament. And as you read through the Old Testament, you're getting a partial picture of God that is finally completed when Jesus Christ comes. Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of God. He is the living Word. He is everything. We, we know God through Jesus Christ. But we do not see the full picture in the Old Testament. So what I want to share with you is do not judge the Lord by a partial picture. Read the end of the story. Read everything you read in the Bible through the lens of Jesus Christ. For He is the ultimate fulfillment and ultimate revelation of God. I want you to hear this as well. Much of the Old Testament violence that we struggle with happens in a very specific period of time in Israel's history. We talk about the whole Old Testament. We hear them say the whole Old Testament, God's just killing everybody and destroying everybody. No, most of that violence happened in a very specific period of time. And that period of time was when the nation of Israel was moving into their promised land and driving out the people that did not belong there. See, God had given this specific piece of ground to Abraham and said, this is your promised land. Canaan land belongs to you. It is your ground for you to inhabit. Many, many years went by. The nation of Israel went through all kinds of struggle and all kinds of rebellion. They were in bondage to Egypt. All kinds of things happened. But God brought them out and brought them into their promised land. And God said, now it's your turn to possess this promised land. The problem was that people had gone into the promised land and possessed the land that belonged to God. And God said, this is your land. You must take it and you must drive out the wicked that live in it. And it's in this context, in this specific period of time, that most of the Old Testament violence occurs. Why this land? What's so important about this land? Well, I'm just going to tell you one reason this land is so important. is because the land of Israel is a land bridge that bridges three continents. If you want to go from Asia into Africa, you're going to go by Israel. If you want to go from Europe into Africa, you're going to go by Israel. It is literally the center of the earth. And that's the land that God wanted to show forth His glory. If you're going to have a place where Jesus rises from the dead and the message of His resurrection goes out to the whole world, guess where you want it to be? You want it to be in a spot that has a land bridge to the rest of the world. How many 
don't even think God knew what he was doing when he put Jesus in that specific time, in that specific place. When he picked out that very promised land, God knew what he was doing. And he said to Abraham, this is your land. And he said to Moses, this is the promised land. He said to Joshua, go in and drive out the enemies of God. How many of you understand that land is hotly contested today? That land is fought over today. Amen. I believe it's our place as Christians in the world today to stand with the nation of Israel and support the nation of Israel and pray for the nation of Israel. And I pray that our nation would stand and support the nation of Israel. We're very pro-Israel as Christians. I want you to understand this about the promised land. The promised land was also filled with wicked people. The Canaanites who dwelt in the promised land, they were not one nation. There were many nations. There were the Hivites, the Hittites, the Amalekites. There were many ites. And they were wicked. The Canaanites are considered by many to be the most depraved people in ancient history. Let me tell you about the Canaanites. They sacrificed their babies to the false god of Molech. They would literally put their babies in the fire. This is so disturbing. They would take their babies and put them on this idol and burn their babies to this God. And when they placed the children on this idol, they had musicians who would play the music louder, the worship music louder, to drown out the cries of these burning children. That is wickedness to the extreme. It is wickedness to the extreme whenever a culture sacrifices its children on any altar of worship. Wickedness to the extreme. They sacrificed babies. They practiced bestiality. They participated in child sex trade. They were constantly at war with surrounding nations. Understand this. Peace was unheard of in this land. They were attacking each other constantly. They were killing each other constantly. It was a depraved, violent society. So when God said, go in and take these cities, go in and drive out some of these people, go in and even destroy some of these people, understand, God's commands were not to induce more violence his commands were to bring an end to violence, to bring them to a place of peace. There is an unfortunate truth in our world today that sometimes it takes war to bring peace. That's unfortunate. In our fallen condition, it's unfortunate. Sometimes there has to be a physical confrontation in order to put down violence. And God sent the nation of Israel in to cleanse the land from evil. Through warfare, they were to bring peace and order to this land. That was God's call. Go in, destroy some of these cities, drive some of these people out, and establish a place that can be there as a representative of my kingdom. God wanted the child sacrifices to end, and he wanted Israel to put it to an end. God wanted the violence to end, and he wanted his people to put it to an end. And he said, fight. Understand this as well, and many people don't give God the credit he's certainly due in the Old Testament. Many, many times, 
God gave the wicked nations a chance to repent. God did not just go in when they made a mistake and say, destroy those people. He didn't say go in and destroy them because of the color of their skin. People accuse God of genocide. This was not a racial eradication. This was God looking down for hundreds and hundreds of years at extreme wickedness going on and on and on again. Book of Genesis chapter 15 and verse 16 speaks to this. He says, after four generations, your descendants will return here to this land. And listen what he said. For the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. What is he saying? These people hadn't sinned enough yet to be destroyed. God's giving them a chance. God's giving them a chance to turn around. To do the right thing to repent. Aren't you thankful for the God that gives us chance after chance after chance? Let's just not talk about the Amorites tonight. Let's talk about us. We've needed chance after chance after chance again and again and again. Right? I have. We serve a merciful God and He was that merciful God in the Old Testament. Another thing that many people don't understand is found in Deuteronomy 20 and 10. Many, many times this practice was taken. God said, as you approach a town to attack it, you must first offer its people terms for peace. Many, many times this was not just God saying, go and destroy the city. Now, there were times that happened. But many times, many times, God said, go in and give them an opportunity to live in peace. You know, even in Jericho, we talk about Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and killed everybody in town you know even in Jericho there was mercy God spared a prostitute I love that our next series that will start next week is called Outsiders and we're going to talk about Jesus interaction with outsiders And we're not just talking about people outside the church. We're talking to people inside the church. Because I find that a whole lot of people go through life feeling like they're always on the outside looking in. They never have a sense of belonging. So we're going to talk about three weeks. We're going to talk about the centurion, the Canaanite, and the commission. And right in the middle of that, we're going to have a bilingual service in English and Spanish. It's going to be so fun. Pastor Joel and I are going to preach in English and Spanish. He's going to try some English, and I'm going to try some Spanish. We're going to have fun with that. And in the middle of all that, in that very service, we're going to have a big baptism celebration. And let me just tell you, we're planning some fun for that day. We're going to celebrate in some big ways like we hadn't before, so it's going to be really cool. We're going to have, we've got a fun month ahead of us. Jesus loved outsiders. God did. They had sent spies into Jericho. And they were befriended by a prostitute named Rahab. And Rahab hid them and allowed them to escape. And they said this to Rahab. They said, when we leave, we're going to come and destroy this city. But we want you to take a scarlet cord and hang it in the window. So that when we come back to take this city, you and everybody in your house will be protected by the scarlet cord. There's a scarlet cord of mercy from the Old Testament all the way to the cross. All the way through the Bible, you see the scarlet cord. Remember the 10th plague in Egypt when God sent the destroyer and the firstborn in Egypt died? God spoke to the children of Israel and said, I want you to take the blood of the lamb, the Passover lamb, and strike it over the doorposts of your house 
And when I see the blood of the Lamb, I will pass over you. And those that had the blood covering their house were passed over and were not subject to the plague. In the same way, Rahab hung the scarlet cord in her window. And when they came in and destroyed Jerusalem, everybody under, under the protection of that scarlet cord was safe. I'm thankful tonight, friends, that there's a scarlet cord over my life. And it's called the blood of Jesus Christ that keeps me, that keeps you, that protects you, that watches over your house, that keeps you safe from harm. Amen? Can I get an amen here today? Come on. We don't walk in fear. We don't live in panic. Amen? If you're walking in fear and walking in panic today, maybe you got too much media and too little Bible. A whole lot of Christians today got too much media and too little Bible. If you're watching the news more than you're reading the Bible, you're going to be afraid. You're on social media more than you're in the Word. You're going to be scared. Look at your anxiety. I'm not condemning you, not shaming you, but look at the diet of what you're putting into your mind and into your heart and start to put some good stuff in there and you're going to feel a whole lot better about life. <coughs> Several people told me, I'm not watching the news anymore. I say, congratulations. Well, I'm afraid I won't know what's going on. You don't anyway. God's doing some good things. Had a lady in this building this morning. She came and her and her husband had been planning a great work of God up in Asheville for the last couple of years. God called him to come to Asheville, and we talked with her this morning. And she said, uh, she said, I've been hearing about this church for the last two years. And she said, I've been hearing all over the area that there's a God thing going on at Upper Christian Fellowship. And I said, oh, there is. God's doing something good. And to him all the glory, certainly not us. God's doing something good, and word's getting out that God's doing a big thing and a good thing. No need to fear, my friends, the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're under the blood of Jesus Christ, you are safe. You are safe. Nothing can take that away from you. No politician can get through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. No culture war can get through the blood of Jesus Christ. No demon, no devil can get through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Sickness can't get through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Say, what do I do about this? Plead the blood of Jesus over your life and over your home and believe God to keep you safe. Use good sense. Yes. Do all that stuff, but don't walk in fear. Amen. Trust the Lord and He's going to take care of you. Amen. 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 Rahab. The prostitute. Guess what? You, you hear about her again in the Bible. She didn't just get rescued and then that's the end of her story. She's actually in the very lineage of Jesus Christ. Hey, what? Can I just put it in common terms? I bet if you had a hooker in your family tree... You'd leave her out. I bet you would. Jesus didn't. <laughs> She's in there. She's actually in the lineage of Jesus. You go tell somebody that Jesus got hookers in his family tree. 
true. And it's in the Bible, on the marquee for everybody to see, because he loves outsiders. What am I trying to say in the midst of what people are claiming is terrible violence? And it's hard to deal with. It is to understand. There's incredible mercy. Rahab's not only mentioned in the family tree of Jesus, she's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of fame of faith. Right after Moses. And there were several that the writer of Hebrews said, I don't even have time to tell you about all the other guys. And she lists a lot of who's who in the Bible. But they took time to tell us about Rahab. Because there's mercy in the midst of judgment. Understand this, friends. We serve a God of love and a God of holiness and a God of justice. All those things are together. None of those things are in competition. None of those things are in tension. They're all one in God. And these nations who lived and walked in wickedness, there came a time when the cup was full and the judgment of God was poured out upon them and Israel was the instrument of God's judgment upon these wicked nations to destroy and to remove their evil from the world. We don't like that. We don't understand that. But if we don't present that picture of God, we do not present Him in His fullness. He is the God who sent a flood to the earth to destroy wickedness when judgment had fulfilled the cup. And there comes a time when God's judgment, when we go past the line and past the time as a culture and as a nation, and God said, now you are left to your own devices. And that's what happened to these people. And the nation of Israel at the time was the nation, was the people through which God moved, and He did execute judgment upon these evil, wicked nation using the nation of Israel. Now, some people in our world today would say, sign me up. Well, we live in a different day. We're in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, I want you to understand this. And this is where we get, really get to the heart of the message. You're not going to leave here saying, oh, I get all the violence. Maybe these things have helped you. But I really want to get to the heart of this. I want you to understand that Jesus forbade the disciples from engaging in violence. Peter at the Last Supper. Jesus is talking about all the things he's going to endure. And I love this. His last time with the disciples, he washes their feet. Last time he sees them before the cross, he's handling their feet. Ugh. They're nasty feet. They wore sandals on dirt roads. His last time with him, he told him he was going to suffer terrible things. And he said, I'm going to be denied. And you guys are going to desert me. They're going to strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Don't you love Peter, the big mouth? I read his letters in the New Testament today. Big mouth. Jesus was washing feet and Peter was ready to fight. Peter said, not me, Jesus. I'm ready to go to death with you. I'm ready to fight right now. Jesus, knowing his future, said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times tonight. They left there, and they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and they prayed. You can still visit that garden today. 
And Peter was still ready to fight. They came to arrest Jesus. A group of religious leaders and soldiers and assistants came, servants. And it said, Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. Peter wants to be Joshua. Peter wants to go back to the Old Testament. Say, why did he go for his ear? The guy ducked. He was trying to cut his head off. The guy knew how to move. He wanted to kill him. Peter only knew how to live in violence. And when that was taken away from him, he didn't know what to do with it. You ever wondered why it seems that in the garden, Peter was ready to really die for Jesus. He was ready to take on that whole crowd with a knife. But just a little while later, he couldn't even stand up to a little girl. The kingdom of God will not be advanced through human anger and violence. The wrath of man, James says, does not produce the righteousness of God. What needs to happen in this world will not happen because we get angry. Will not happen because we take out our swords and fight. The solution to this world is a revival of God's spirit and a revival of repentance and a revival of holiness and a revival of the heart of Jesus. And that's something only Jesus could do. Peter could not do anything but kill people with the sword. So once Jesus said this, Jesus said this to him. John put it this way. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup of suffering the Father's given me? Peter, this is something God's taking me through. He's taking me through a period of suffering. And we don't fight our way out of this. Imagine what it would have been like to be Malchus. You're just a servant of the high priest and you go along and all of a sudden Peter tries to kill you. I guess he's the closest one standing to Peter because Peter was going to take them all one at a time. And all of a sudden this guy's without an ear. What did Jesus do? He picks his ear up and pops it back on. You know, a lot of times when, when people's real names are mentioned, this, this story, this particular one of Peter cutting off the ear, the four Gospels don't, the, the Gospel writers don't all tell everything. There's a lot of stuff that one has. There's a lot of stuff that are in two and in three. There's a few things that all four of them mention, and that stuff, they all wanted everybody to hear that. This story of Peter cutting off the ear and Jesus popping it back on, all four of them told it, all four Only John gave him a name. John said his name was Malchus. You know why they do that? A lot of times they did that because the Christian church of that day knew that person. Which tells me that maybe Malchus became a Christian. Isn't it? This is sanctified imagination with a little scholarship behind it. But isn't it exciting to think that the possibility exists that the guy that Jesus popped his ear back on became a Christian? Guarantee you, that'd be a good reason for me to become a Christian right there. I was coming to help arrest him, and he loved me enough to heal me. See, the uh, most astounding violence in the Scripture to me is the violence that God allowed to come upon His Son, Jesus Christ, for my sake. That scarlet cord that ran throughout the Bible 
tells me that the wrath of God that should have been poured out on me. God has a right to do what he wants. I realize I'm not going to convince any atheists with this, and I'm not going to convince anyone who doesn't want to believe. But if you're really struggling with this, understand the Lord is the judge of the earth. He created it, he created us, and he can do whatever he wants. And we have, I have and you have rebelled against him, and we deserve death because of our sin against him. And he would be justified to wipe us off the earth. But he did not. He redeemed us to satisfy the justice of God. He poured out his wrath on his own son so that the wrath of God could bypass me and go to Jesus. And Jesus was the only one that could carry it and come back. And he did. He carried it. He defeated death. He came back so that I can be filled with the Holy Spirit of God in my life and manifest that life to the world free from sin and its consequences. Jesus told Peter, those that live by the sword will die by the sword. Here's what I want you to understand, and I'm quitting. We don't advance the kingdom of God by taking another person's life. We advance the kingdom of God by giving ours. We don't move the kingdom of God forward by getting violent. So many Christians today are angry. I get it. I don't like a lot of things happening in our country and in our world. There's a whole lot I don't like. And let's just be honest. Isn't it easy to get angry? You're sitting out there like it's only me. But I've seen your Facebook and I know better. Isn't it easy just to be mad and to go around all upset and want to fight? It's so easy to let hatred enter your heart. Any of you ever really, really been hurt by somebody? Have any of you ever seen somebody you love be hurt by people? It is so easy to hate people when they hurt you. I want to get to the root of this. We're not just getting philosophical about violence here tonight. I want to get to the root of the violence in our own hearts. Jesus said if you're angry with people, if you hate them, murder has gotten into your heart. Have you ever had murder get into your heart? They asked Ruth Graham one time if she'd ever thought about killing Billy. She said, well, I never thought about... Uh, no, no, sorry. I, I totally messed that story up. Totally blew it. She said, have you ever thought about divorcing Billy? And she said, I uh, never thought about divorce. Murder has come to my mind a few times. Maybe I saved it. I felt murder in my heart before. I've been hurt a few times. The boys tell me, I got hurt in church. Big deal. Let me tell you some stories about getting hurt in church. I've been in church all my life. It's a great place to get hurt. Perfect place to get hurt. You got a lot of messed up people. All in one place, trying to do something together. Sure, you're going to get hurt. Don't be surprised. I've been hurt too. That air has shot at me. I've seen people I love hurt. A couple years back, I ran into somebody that had really hurt somebody I loved. And I saw this person. And I won't go into details, but after the encounter with this person, I wanted to kill them. I literally did. Really wanted to. 
And I started to think about it. Were you a Christian? Yeah, I was your pastor at the time. You might have to go and pray about that, but go ahead. I really wanted to kill somebody. I started thinking about it. I started thinking about how I could do it and get away with it. Hey, I'm just being real up here. Um, pastor shouldn't think that way. Exactly, I shouldn't. I'm not saying this is right. I'm just saying this is what happened. I had to go to a friend and say, hey, i got to get murder out of my heart. What do I do? I got to reading the scriptures and it said, uh, pray for your enemies. Oh my goodness. It doesn't say kill them. It says pray for them. I can't do that. Yes, you can. Say, well, my heart's not in it. Go through the motions. preach just a minute to you longer. I'm trying to quit here. I'm trying to land this plane. Sometimes you just go through the motions. Even when you don't feel it. Even when it doesn't seem to be sincere. You just do it. Feeling follows action. So I put those people on my prayer list. And I had a section on my prayer list called enemies. I did. And it was at the very bottom. In case I got interrupted, that I prayed for the people I really liked. And I'm going to tell you, for a long time, it's like, uh, get down in that list, I'm like, oh yeah, well God bless them. Bless them real good. With a hurricane or something. I was looking for a loophole. God didn't tell us exactly what to pray, right? God didn't buy that either. Bless him, Lord. You know, I got to the point after months that I could say, okay, God, bless him. I know that's who you are. You want to bless him. Then I got to where I could pray sincerely. And then one day I'm driving down the road. God said, about that prayer list. I said, yeah, Lord. He said, you know that section that's enemies? Yeah. You know those names on there? Yeah. I want you to move them over to this section called Friends. Yes, Lord. Now those names are on my friends list. And now I can sincerely pray, God bless them. Because I don't want harm to come to them. I don't want to kill them anymore. I genuinely want God to bless them. That took a long time of going through the motions. But God took violence out of my heart. He can do that for you. Amen. Amen. Dealing with the violence of the Old Testament, don't judge God on half the story. Read the end and see the heart of Jesus and interpret the Old Testament in light of the new. But in regards to the violence in your heart, there's somebody you're hating right now and somebody you can't forgive right now, here's what you do. You go through the motions. And let God worry about the feeling. And let God worry about doing the work in your heart that you can't do. Go through the motions. All right? Amen.
Let's pray together today. God, thank you for being here today. Thank you for all you're doing in our hearts and in our lives. Thank you in the midst of this message, God, you're speaking to us about a heart change. Father, help us to understand and to grow in our understanding of things in the Bible that we don't understand, particularly these difficult verses. God, deeper than that, you want to do a work in our heart to get violence out of us. Those of us who are stirred up and who are angry, God, many times we're angry at the people we're trying to reach. God, help us to understand those are the people you sent us to. And we can't be violent against them. We've got to let you work forgiveness. Now, I pray for people out here right now, people online, struggling with somebody they really hate right now. God, I pray they'll just simply go through the motions saying, Father, I know this is not right. I give this to you. I repent. And they'll simply say, God, I pray for that person. Even with a bad attitude, even with a heart that's still clouded by bitterness, God, may they just go through the motions. And God, may you do by your Holy Spirit what we can't do. And I thank you for that right now. With heads bowed and eyes closed, watching online here today, how many would just say, I'm saying yes to Jesus right now. I'm saying yes to him as my Savior and Lord. Love to see your hand if you're here tonight. If you're online, let's give a hand for those that are saying yes to Jesus Christ right now. Watching online, there's a button there you can hit that says yes to Christ. Now, I want you to hang with me just one second. Whether you're right here or you're at home, how many of you know there's somebody in your heart that you've got to go through that process with? You've got to go through the motions to give that to Jesus. Can I see your hands right now? And there's a whole bunch of them, and I figured that when we got into that, a whole bunch of them. Somebody right now that I've just got to say, God, I pray for them. pray with you right now if you're saying yes to Jesus. I want you just to pray this out of your heart. It's not a magic formula by any means. It's not a magic prayer. Just say, Jesus, look at my life. I see my sin. I see my rebellion. I see my struggle for what it is, and I turn from it, and I turn to you. I ask for your forgiveness, and I receive that right now, and I ask you to live in me. Jesus, I lay down my life and everything that I have and all that I am at your feet. And I come to you as your servant, as your disciple, as your follower. And by your grace from this day forward, I'll follow you. Nothing like giving your life to Jesus. Amen. Amen. May to be blessed tonight. I'm going to speak blessing over you tonight. You would just lift your hands to receive blessing tonight. I believe in the power of spoken blessing. As I bless you tonight, I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. And he's speaking of the moment that Jesus served his disciples at the Last Supper. And Paul said, it was on the night he was betrayed. My blessing over you tonight is that same spirit and heart of Jesus. That at the very time and with the very people that betray you in the time of your betrayal, that you will be able to serve through that. That you will be able to serve those who hurt you. Not just those who bless you and not just those who are easy to serve, but that you will be blessed with an uncommon love. The love of Jesus that you can serve in the face of betrayal. that blessing. That's not the most fun blessing you ever had, is it? Right there. Some more fun than others.
others, but that's one. With that blessing, I commission you in the power of the Holy Spirit to go out of this place and to tell the story of Jesus and live the life of Jesus in front of your community. Amen and amen. Your commission, your sin. Love y'all. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Upward Journey. If you would like to find out more about Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina, you can look up our website at ucf.cc or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Fellowship. We invite you to join us next week as we continue the Upward Journey.